Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 30 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, another huge interview coming your way today with Australian Paralympic legend and world record holder, Mr. Brendan Hall. I had the privilege of having Brendan on the phone a few weeks ago, and we went through his amazing career so far, how he got started, open water racing, world records, and life after swimming, as well as a whole lot more. So fill your drink up, grab your snacks, and get settled in, because Ep 30 with Brandon Hall starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining us today on the show is a man who has done it all when it comes to our sport. He is a three-time Paralympian and a gold medalist, world record holder, open water world champion, and a world champion also in the pool, as well as Commonwealth Games gold medalist. I mean, as I said, <laughs> there's almost not much our guest today has not done in the sport of swimming. It is a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Mr. Brendan Hall. Brendan, how you going, mate? I'm good, thanks, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Not a trouble at all, champion. Where have we caught you today? Obviously, for everyone you know, at home, I'm I'm in the studios in Sydney. Where have we caught you today? Uh, so I'm actually currently in my home office where I've been studying um, physio for university all day. Oh, nice. So where's that up in Brisbane? Yeah, up in Brizzy. How's the weather up there today, mate? It's a bit fresh down here. It's a bit cold. What, what's it like up in Brisbane? I do miss the Brisbane winters because, let's be honest, it's not really a winter. Uh, I wouldn't really call it a winter. Everyone <laughs> else is saying it's jumper weather, but um, not on the jumpers yet. Just early, early in the morning and maybe late in the afternoon, but still be able to walk around without a jumper on. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mate, how have you been today? What have you been up to? Have you done any training apart from your studies? Have you been out for bit of a splash have you done anything in the gym yeah so uh today i actually uh started my morning off with a bit of a 20k bike ride this morning nice taking up cycling while being out of the water then followed that up with a, a light walk with my wife and our um pet pug winston oh, beautiful we go go for a little walk and then i had a uh, 45 minute uh gym program gym session at my um local gym that I've really been lucky to have access to still uh, for the last few weeks. And then, yeah, that's my training at the moment. And I'll probably hit, a, hit up a, a land session this afternoon after talking to you. Yeah, nice. So you're still staying pretty busy, obviously. What about in terms of being stuck in the house, though? How have you been coping with that and self-isolating? Um, it's a little bit different, I guess. I'm always used to sort of um, being on the move and constantly doing something. Obviously, the last few weeks I've had a a real eye-opener into what it is to just be a university student and not an elite athlete fully training all yeah, the time. Yeah. And i got to say, um, I definitely prefer being the elite athlete side of uh, things because uh, I'm going a little bit stir-crazy here and there with not being able to swim as much as I would like to. Exactly. And, and talking about the swimming, you know, obviously the Olympics and Paralympics got pushed back, as we know. Um, how did that affect you mentally in terms of your preparation? Was that something you were really ready to ready for this year and ready to rumble? Or, you know, some people I've spoken to, um, you mentioned you listened to the Ellie Cole interview, so obviously she was um, a little bit relieved that things got pushed back given her injury at the moment, which gave her more time to be ready. How, how did you find the, the news? Yeah, I think it was uh, a bit of a, a mixed kind of emotion. Um, at first I was disappointed because I had a bit of a – a bit of a bum year, I guess, last year and sort of came home after my honeymoon and I was like, all right, I'm going to switch all this up, change all this, get into it and um, smash it out and make sure I'm on the ball this year when Tokyo comes around. And, um, you know, everything was tracking really good. It was probably looking the best I'd ever looked in probably, say, almost the last eight years. Um, easy. So I was like, 
really happy, loving everything. And, and then, yeah, sort of, you know, you, you know, you get told, oh, it's being pushed back here. And I was like, oh, it's bummer. I was like really starting to feel like ready to go this year. But then you like sort of realize that you're like, oh, you know what? Now I've got like another year under my belt to put mm-hmm. this whole process um, into work again and hopefully come out even stronger than what I was going to be this year. Um, so hopefully that's what the plan is going to go. And hopefully that's the way it works. Yeah, nice. Mate, have you stayed in contact with your coach and, and your teammates who've been doing Zoom meetings? What have you been up to? Yes, yeah, so, uh, our squad does all the Zoom meetings and all that sort of stuff, but um, just time-wise, they don't always match up with what I'm doing during the day to be able to sort of jump on those. But uh, there's always a squad chat group. We're always in touch with each other through that way. You know, we're all sending memes to each other through Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Um, my coach Harley checks in with us uh, uh, once a week, just sort of see how we're going, what we've done, what we've been up to, making sure we're all right mentally and I suppose physically as well, just sort of making sure that I guess we're not, you know, sitting on our asses 24-7, which mm. I think, you know, talking to a bunch of high-performing athletes, I'm pretty sure the majority of us won't be sitting on our asses 24-7. But, um, yeah, it's really good to have them and have everyone checking in with each other. In terms of not sitting on your asses, what you know, we touched on before you a bit of what you've been up to. But in terms of like your week and and how it's structured at the moment with dry land, is it a matter of it is very structured and and you know what you've got to do at what time in each day, or are you a little bit free in that? In in what I mean is in you know if you feel like just going for a walk, you're going to go for a walk today instead of you know um, having a, a hard hit out. Yeah, I think for me, um, I like to sort of have that have a little bit of structure here and there, but also sort of be a little bit flexible at the same time. I think for me, the structure is important because I can sort of get carried a little bit carried away with um, sitting in front of the computer and studying, you know, once you watch that time go by and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I've been sitting here for like four hours reading through stuff. I probably should be getting up now and um, moving around a little bit. Um, Some days I might not have as much uni and uh, I also have to remember that, my wife is also working from home at the moment, so I sort of have to make sure I don't um, interrupt her schedules and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so you, we just sort of be pretty lenient with each other as to what we're doing and when we're doing it. And usually come like 4.30 in the afternoon, we both know well, we both sort of have to do something. So we always you know, get up and do something, whether she goes for a run and does a workout or she does a, I do a workout and go for a walk and it's always mixed up. So... Yeah, um, I would say I think it's just trying to maintain that sort of similar structure to what I was doing uh, during training just so that the body's moving at those similar times and that's what it's used to so that when the pools do reopen again, I guess we can sort of get back into that, slip into that routine a little bit easier, I guess. Now, you touched on something there that I think is very interesting and important for people to, to understand and to listen to in terms of, you know, living with your partner and, and everyone's at home at the moment and, you know, we're, we're all busy and, and it sort of reminded me of myself at the moment with what you just said in terms of the podcast. I mentioned to you I'm doing like, you know, two or three interviews a day, which requires, you know, all the research and all the stuff that goes into it. So, you know, I'm, I'm quite busy myself, much as the same as you with your study, but my wife is at home and... Um, you know, she's busy with other stuff as well and trying to find time to, it's interesting, you know, we're, we're both at home, but it's hard to actually find time to do stuff together, right? Like, you know, is it go for a walk or, or whatever it might be? So how have you f- have found that? Sorry. Yeah. So I think for us, it's, we sort of have our, um, separate work areas and, um, separate work times here and there, but, you know, we always go for a walk in the morning together and, um, in the afternoon, she usually does um, like an online workout sort of thing and mm. she has her set time and I have my set time of workout period and then we come together and, um, you know, get dinner ready together. So, yeah, it's just finding that right balance, I guess, that, you know, I'm always home now and she's always home mm. and it's, um, yeah, it seems to be working pretty well. Mate, the dog must be loving it. Oh, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, living it up, just bossing us both around here and there. Um <laughs> 
let us know he's always always wanting food and yeah i don't know i don't know what he's going to do when we both go back to normal life yeah i think all the dogs in australia around the world will be crying and howling for yeah. weeks when everyone goes back to work mate yes. take me back to a, a young brendan in the pool talk to me about you know the early days in your swimming career and and the earliest memories that you have of, of being in the pool uh, so I guess for me, like the earliest memories were I, I learned to swim a uh, very young age, probably um, before I was even two, I reckon, uh, just to be water safe from my mum and dad wanted me to be water safe because they enjoyed going to the, the beach and going to the surf and stuff. So they wanted to make sure I could swim. Um, I didn't really have an interest in then. I think it's more of a, like you just sort of do it. You become satisfied with swimming and you become proficient and, yeah, I guess I sort of have did my learn to swim through Shacklands and uh, sort of worked my way up. And I was like, oh, you should go try a squad. I went and tried squad. And I think it wasn't until after I lost my leg that a real interest actually sparked in my swimming. Mm. I'm not sure whether it was because I was sort of um, stuck in the sport of swimming. It was like it was kind of the only sport that I could do and feel normal at the same time. But I did notice that once I lost my leg, I was like, okay, I can, my dreams have sort of changed a little bit. Um, this is the kind of stuff I want to do and this is where I want to go. So yeah, I just sort of, once I lost my leg, started again and worked my way up through the learn to swim, the mini squads, mini junior, all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, I just sort of started loving it and I don't think I've looked back since. Mate, in terms of enjoying it, what did you enjoy about it the most? Was it the training aspect, you know, pushing yourself in training, see what you could get? Was it competition? Was it seeing your mates? Like, what did you enjoy most about it? I think for me, the the most enjoyment I got out of it was the ability to sort of just push myself um, in training uh, to that point where you're almost at, complete physical exhaustion um i'm one of the ones who kind of absolutely loves the training um just to kind of see how far you can push the limits on your body and you know see how much faster you can get see how much harder you can work how much sore you're going to end up the day after all that sort of stuff and Mm. i pretty much when i was younger um when i first sort of made my first lot of junior representative teams uh you know i thought i was bulletproof and that um I could literally do anything that I put my mind to and anything was possible. And I would just train hard after hard after hard session after hard session and I just wouldn't stop. So um, I still love the training now, but obviously I sort of have to be a bit smarter about it Mm. and know to listen to my body a lot more and make sure that I'm doing all the other elements of the training right. So recovery, nutrition, all that sort of stuff. And But, yeah, for me it's, it's definitely about, hitting out the journey so that I can really enjoy the destination. In terms of heroes growing up, you know, were there any swimmers that you looked up to? And you mentioned there sort of swimming wasn't um, a major part of your life in terms of training-wise too. you got a little bit older. So were there any sort of people outside of swimming maybe that you looked up to? Yeah, uh, I think uh, swimming, I think for me, one of the big ones at the start was like obviously being exposed to you know, Ian Thorpe in Sydney 2000, the year after I lost my leg. Um, he was one that I looked up to originally from the get-go. Um, then you've also, you've got people like um, Matt Cowdery, who once I was classified and became aware of what Paralympic swimming was in 2004 and to sort of see what he could do. And um, we were in the same class and I was like, oh, I've got a little bit of work to do if I want to, you know, improve my chances of trying to make the team or even be able to race in, in the same league as him. And yeah, uh, Michael Phelps, um, just because of what he was able to do as an athlete, just I was in awe of it all the time. But then like, you know, outside of something, I had someone always, I always enjoyed cricket because I played cricket for a little bit mm-hmm. before I made the Beijing games. So um I looked up to the guys like Ian Healy and Ricky Ponting, just how they carried themselves um, as athletes and then how they carried themselves outside the sport as well. And um, in the end, once I got to no Paralympic sport, oh, you, you can't go past Kerr family. Mm-hmm. 
Mate, in terms of your impairment, and obviously we've touched on it a little bit there, um, you know, your right leg was lost. For all the listeners out there who don't know the story, how did that come about? Yeah, so obviously for those, uh, everyone who doesn't know the story, it's, I'm trying to keep it short and sweet for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the age of six in December of 1999, I was uh, came down with chickenpox, obviously. Um, unfortunately, because of the chickenpox, it caused further complications, which uh, created a, um, a DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis. Um, in other words, a blood clot in my lower right leg, which was in the main vein going back to the heart, which caused uh, a number of complications. And one of them was that uh, I went into cardiac arrest for about 27 and a half minutes. Uh, thankfully, you know, the doctors got to the point where they managed to get me back and they gave my parents pretty much two options and they could keep trying to uh, thin the clot, which is obviously what they do to try and repair it um, and get rid of it. And usually you're all good, but they were like, if we keep doing this, we're probably going to risk his life again just because mm-hmm. of the severity of it. Mm-hmm. Or they could um, amputate through my knee and hopefully he lives a, a happy and long life. And um, obviously that was a pretty tough decision for mum and dad, but um, I think they, in the end, made the right choice. And, yeah, I haven't really, like, looked back since. But uh, as a result of that, I think because of the, the period I was in cardiac arrest, I also lost a large majority of my hearing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm fully deaf in my right ear, and I've only got a little bit of hearing in my left ear. And so when I was at school growing up, I'd always use hearing aids, and I still use a hearing aid when I go to university now. So, yeah, so that's pretty much my story in a short summary. Mate, it's an inspirational one, absolutely. And what a what a tough time for your parents at that time to have to go through. But obviously, a, you know, the right decision. And as you said, you haven't looked back since. And and we're going to go through your career so far. So, um, you know, absolutely brilliant from that point onwards, and and the way you you tackled everything. Mate, around what age did swimming get a little bit more competitive for you? So obviously, we talked about. Um, you know, before, uh, you know, being that leg being amputated, but about, you know, after that, what is that, would you say that's when things got a little bit more serious swimming wise? Yeah, I think, uh, definitely just started to get a little more serious. Obviously I started as like a six year old. I was, I was when I lost my leg and I sort of worked my way back up. And as a seven year old and eight year old, I started doing all this, the swimming carnivals and, um, school swimming, but it wasn't probably until like, uh, the age of 10 that uh, I realized I might have some sort of potential. I changed from my local swim club down to one a little bit further down the road just to sort of change my coaches up a little bit, get a little bit more serious. Um, yeah, and then I think it was probably – I was probably 11 going on 12. My coach then, he pulled me aside. And he's like, oh, hey, mate um, – so you've got a lot of potential in you. You might have a shot at making Beijing 2008. This was, I think, I think in 2005. He's pulled me aside and said this, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Do you do you want to have a go at it?" And I was like, "So if I was like 11 at the time, literally, the only thing I really cared about was whether I was going to get ice cream after dinner or not. <laughs> um, I didn't really care about anything else. Um, so I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not? Whatever. I'm not really, you know." that phase about it i mean i was loving swimming i was enjoying it so i was like if i want to have a go at representing my country uh, it was a dream after watching sydney i was like i didn't realize it was gonna probably have the opportunity to have a shot at this dream so early but i was like if i'm gonna have a shot i may as well go for it and then yeah it wasn't and then 2006 and 2007 i started breaking a number of um age records for the 400 freestyle and i realized okay yeah, I think I might have it in me to be able to do some good here and mm. hopefully win a medal for my country one day. And I was lucky enough to make Beijing as a 14-year-old and I was 15 when I competed over there. And then I guess it just got better and better from there. Hey, you mentioned there obviously competing in Beijing and you compete under the S9 category. Um, just a year before that, I think you'd made a team to go up and compete in Darwin 
um, yes. as well as a 14-year-old, and then, you you know, you make the team for Beijing at 15. What was that yeah. experience like for a 15-year-old? Like, you know, I always tell people, you know, as a 15-year-old, my trips away were up to the Gold Coast from Sydney, and it was in a car. <laughs> like, we didn't even fly. It was in, it was in a car. What was it like yeah. as a 15-year-old to be, you know, over in, in Beijing competing at the Olympics or the Paralympics, sorry? Yeah, so I think like, I'd only, uh, at that stage, I'd, I think the furthest I'd ever travelled was down to Melbourne. Um, that was as far as I'd ever travelled. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is pretty cool if you get to travel a little bit for swimming. And never in a million years, million years did I think I would be like travelling overseas for it. And oh, it, I think the best way to understand what I was feeling is if you go and watch my post-race interview after Beijing, my 400 race, it clearly sums up how my mind was processing things back then. Uh, just, I just sort of like was just, I was pretty much like a sponge. I was just like soaking in everything and I was just laughing it up and enjoying every single moment I could. Um, I think I pretty much summed up my whole experience in Beijing when they interviewed me when I got home. It was, it was just awesome. I can't find a better word to describe what happened to me. It was just awesome. And that's pretty much, that was the extent of my vocabulary back then. Um, it just had a phenomenal experience and I was grateful for the, the steep learning curve that I was able to sort of go through um, while competing there and only having to worry about one race. And I surprised myself in the results that I got, but then I looked I look, I look back then and I was like, well, between heats and finals of the ones from that I did, I spent a whole day walking around the village. I went to the games room. Uh, I was, you know, shooting hoops. I was playing PlayStation. I was on MSN chatting to friends back home. If anyone remembers what MSN is. Yeah, and those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> then I, I think I might've sat down in my room for like an hour before going back to the pool. And, um, you know, I swam faster again in the final, but uh, I wouldn't have traded what I did for anything in the world. And, yeah, I was just able to learn so much and I enjoyed every moment of it. And, like, mum and dad and my brother were over there to support me. So it just made the whole situation so much easier. And, yeah, I loved every minute of it. Mate, we fast forward to 2010 World Champs in the Netherlands and, and this is somewhat of a breakout meet for you. You know, you come away with four gold medals and one of which is in the 5K open water, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, yeah. How, how do you look back on that personally? And, and do you think, even though you were 17, you know, you were a bit more experienced by this stage. So, you know, you were ready for whatever was going to come your way. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd been racing those guys for about two years, obviously, then. Uh, I'd learned a lot personally as well as professionally um so like in and out of the pool uh my mindset had completely changed on how i approached certain things you know i'd also gone from swimming one event at the meet the 400 freestyle to pretty much having an event program of of seven to eight swims um seven to eight individual swims plus the two relays so you know my event program like pretty much jumped through the roof mm. um I was like pretty lucky enough to. I was happy to come away with the four gold medals at that World Championships, but my goal was to actually go there and break the 400 freestyle, like break the world record. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I didn't do that that year, and that sort of disappointed me a little bit. But I learned from it, and you know, I made sure that I changed everything for the following years and came back and did it again. But yeah, I was really grateful that I was able to perform so well in the Netherlands. I mentioned one of those golds there was from the world champs, uh, was from, sorry, the 5K open water, which is extraordinary. You know, what do you enjoy most about open water swimming as opposed to, you know, racing in the pool? Oh, for me, um, I think that might have been, to be honest, I think it might have been my, like, fourth, like, open water professional swim. I'd only just started swimming them in 2009, so... Um, but I'd been swimming in the surf for as long as I could remember. And, yeah, it wasn't until 2009 and 2008 that I was, oh, you could you can race in open water. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, once I knew I could do that, um, I did a few Australian championships and age group against able-bodied swimmers. And I was, like, placing in the top five. And I was like, oh, I have a pretty good shot here. Mm -hmm. I think it was because... 
we weren't restricted to you weren't restricted to swimming in your own lane. You could uh, pull a few shots here and there if you could get away with it, and mm-hmm. no one could see anything. Yeah, I think for me, the bit about the open water I love the most is the, the unpredictability of it. Yep. You can't really predict what's going to happen. You can pretty much sit anywhere in the race, and as long as you're within that striking distance, anything can really happen. And even if it's in the surf, I love being able to have that ability to catch waves and um yeah it's just sort of actually use the environment to your advantage as such so um for me i'm like oh this is great i feel like we're all on an even playing field and that's why i love it so much mate between 2010 which we just touched on 2016 you accomplished quite a lot with you know london rio uh, paralympics world champs etc now i'm not trying to diminish any of these achievements in any way but I think I touched on before with you, if we actually went through each of these, we'll end up having like a three or four part podcast series yeah. uh, with no, you, which all is good. a testament It's a testament to, you know, to you and, and what you've achieved in the pool though. But, you know, when we look back through this period and even going back to your first Paralympics in Beijing to obviously 2016 in Rio, the, all the world records, all that sort of stuff, how much maturing mentally did you do through this time and, and sort of what lessons did you learn you know, that have made you the cool, calm and collected athlete that you are today? I think for me it was, uh, I, I think London was where I was able to put a lot of those processes through to the test and then there was those world champs in between London and Rio that I was like, oh, okay, what I did three to four years ago, I can like, I can no longer do, like the body's getting older, you have to approach things differently. Mm. Uh, for me, the most important thing was though is that knowing when to turn um pretty much turn that switch on and off um so that you know when the job has to be done and then once the job's done then you like bring down it's just saving that emotional energy for when it counts and i think that's what applies to me the most uh for me uh, to to be able to race properly and race successfully in my mind it's being able to turn that switch on when i want to be able to turn it on and then turn it off instantly um as soon as the race is done to know that i can conserve as much energy as i can for that next time i have to be able to turn it on and i guess between the world champs i sort of had to learn a lot about as my body was getting older and and these changes were making i was you know now putting on muscle and having to like deal with the buildup of lactic acid in my system that i wasn't really used to as a young athlete in the flight of free i realized that uh um, recovery uh, was playing as an important part in making sure that I could back up the next day and making sure that I was looking after myself and getting the massage tables and getting the right physiotherapy checks to make sure that my body was in the right condition to be able to sort of back up and yeah like so between that between London and Rio I learned all those things so that when I made sure when Rio came around I could put all those things into practice and then pretty much far away and um yeah i was lucky enough that a lot of those things that i learned pretty much just slotted in nicely and um worked to my advantage and i was able to come away with what was a uh, gold silver and a bronze in individually so yeah i was i was stoked with all that mate any sort of moments or stories from that period that really stand out to you um i think for me Oh, good question. That's a good one. Um, uh, there's one moment. I think I think we might have been going to Montreal in 2013. Um, obviously, I changed coaches um, in between 2012 and 20, 2013. Um, just wanted to have a bit of a switch up. I'd been with my previous coach for like 15 years and um, was coming from a club that was very serious and they kind of had got he wasn't kind of running the club much more. So um, it was a lot of a social aspect. Not many people were there seriously to represent anything. And I was like, okay, look, I've, I'm going to move on. And so I changed coaches. I uh, moved to my current coach that I'm with, Harley. And so he made his first power team. And we were, um, when we get put into our coaching groups, I also had um, Grant Scooter Patterson in my coaching group when we went away that year. But yeah, so he's a, a para swimmer from based up in Cairns. Yep. Anyway, just the story that pops to mind is that, you know, flying overseas, like we're he, me and him, well, I'm like, you know, what, six foot five, and he's probably not even 
two foot, I wouldn't even say two foot at least. Yeah. And he's probably like just under a metre or just over a metre tall. And we're always like sort of placed near each other on the flights and, you know, you're crammed in those seats for a 12-hour flight. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, mate, I'll give you some extra room and I'm just going to sleep on the floor and you just wake me up when we get there. <laughs> so, um, legit, the whole flight, he slept on the floor underneath me and I had three seats to myself and it was probably the best flight I've ever had. <laughs> How did he go down there? Did he say it was comfortable? Yeah, he was comfortable. He padded himself up with some pillows and some blankets and he, he didn't move the whole flight, literally didn't move the whole flight. Mate, you were both living the dream on that flight. Yeah. So, um, but like, um, I guess uh, in that same year was the year I'd changed coaches and obviously I broke the world record in London and I didn't expect to sort of go out and break the world record again um, within, you know, eight months of changing coaches. But, um, yeah, I, I broke the world record in Montreal for the 400 free and it sort of solidified in my mind that I, had made the right decision to switch coaches and switch to the appropriate coach. I was kind of a little bit unsure at first just because these training programs were a little bit different and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, and he was used to working with open water swimmers, hadn't really worked closely with para swimmers before or like pool based swimmers as such. But, um, yeah, once I'd made that move and I'd sort of had seen how successful I competed that year, I was, it solidified in my mind that I made that successful move, and I think that's what made the relationship so successful going into Rio. Mate, in terms of race plans, uh, I like to give the listeners a little bit of an insight into you know elite athletes' minds in terms of you know what they're thinking about when they dive in in their race. You know, for your four hundred, which is obviously an event you love. You know, do you have a race plan when you go into it? Like, what do you and Harley talk about in terms of? Um, you know, how do you put together? Is it each fifty? Is it each hundred? Do you have a race plan? Do you do you keep it fairly simple? How do you go about it? Yeah, I think for the four hundred, it's kind of just really at the moment about uh, keeping it really simple. Always kind of has been. Um, it's always just being a matter of like getting out fast and strong, but not to the point where I'm fully wearing myself out and like taking it out as a sprint. So it's just always enough to make sure that. <laughs> Um, my original race plan has always been about like build into the swim, like build into that swim and that last hundred should be like a comfortable home finish sprint. And it kind of hasn't changed much over the years. It's sort of just tried to make it a bit more, a bit better in the execution process, I guess. So, um, so every time, you know, we get in and he's like, okay, so he'll give me sort of set times that I sort of have to follow. He's like, okay, I want this first hundred here. I want this middle 200 here. I want you to be able to come back in this back hundred here. Um, so obviously we've spent the last few years trying to sort of play with that. And from Rio to last year, we just sort of haven't been able to sort of hit that spot properly. Um, but yeah, over the last probably like six months since I sort of got back into training in October after my honeymoon um, until we were pretty much kicked out of the pools, um, yeah, well, we, I'd done a few race 400s and he put the plan in place and I just sort of went out and tried to follow that plan. And it's probably one of the, like, the best times I've actually been able to sort of execute those plans over the 400s. So that's why I was kind of getting excited to see how this year was going to go because mm-hmm. I hadn't been able to sort of execute a 400 plan properly pretty much since 2013 and to know that i was getting to that point where i could start to execute these plans well again i was um yeah it was going to be exciting times now you talk about executing race plans and you know a few world records that you've broken and and you have broken a few for an average joe like me sitting on the lounge you know watching you guys do these unbelievable swims what does it feel like to know that you're the fastest man in the world for your classification is it is it a sense of, you know, euphoria? Is it a sense of accomplishment and achievement? You, you mentioned before, you know, that you come away from, I think it was London in the, t- in the sense of, you know, a little bit disappointed that you didn't get that world record. So is that something, you know, you, you chase after? Yeah, I think for me, because it's the worst part is, is like, I don't really set out to break world records. It's, I, I set out to be able to swim personal bests and, mm. For me, in my mind, if my personal best ends up faster than that world record, and it's like, oh, okay, that's a bonus for me, but I want to make sure that I can get back onto that personal best time or better. 
So, you know, it's all well and good to have a world record to your name, but also they can be taken away from you. So for me, it's a sense of accomplishment, but then pretty much as soon as that race is done, all I'm thinking about is like, okay, how am I going to, how do I have to make sure that I'm hitting that time again the next time we step up in an international environment? So it's, um, so then next time I, the next time I step up, if I don't hit it, that's when I have a lot of, self-reflection moments and mm. try to figure out what went wrong how it went wrong and um where exactly i have to fix things to make sure that i can get back to that personal base time and yeah i'm really thankful to be able to you know have my best best times um as well records for some of my swims well, you mentioned there, you know, self-reflection and looking back on some of the things that you may or may not have, have gotten right. What are some of the things that you, you haven't gotten right in the past and what you had to sort of look at to, to try and fix up? Uh, well, for me, the first one that comes to mind is last, pretty much last year, having world champs. Um, back in the pool where I won my first individual gold medal in world record time. Uh, so we had the IPC, the Paris Swimming World Championship last year. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this, the pool actually means a lot to me to be able to swim in that pool over there. And I was excited and uh, pretty much chuffed to be able to race there again. I was like, okay, cool. I get to be able to defend my world champion title in pretty much the pool where it all started, like sort of the impact of my career kind of started the most mm. um but yeah just just didn't all come together as the way i wanted it to uh you know uh, i say that like i got to be realistic i can't i got silver in the 400 free by yeah. like 0.1 of a second so yeah. like what like a finger in a fingernail yeah. I was, and i i was absolutely shattered like for the first time in my life i was disappointed with how i performed i was just disappointed with i was like quite angry with myself and yeah not really loving everything but from there on i was like okay i have to go back and i literally sat down with my coach talked about it and he's like don't worry about it now we're like okay you did it it's happened it's in the past when you get home after your honeymoon that's when we'll get together and we're like okay we'll see how it works from here just worry about the rest of your swims get through the rest of the week and then worry about it then Came home, you know, I was able to sort of have a bit of a downtime, a bit of reflection while I was away on my honeymoon, came home, sort of discovered what I could change, where I can change it, how I can change it, put all those changes into place. And, yeah, it, it was when you actually sort of sit down and reflect on like, oh, okay, there's you don't realise how much a little aspect of your life can actually affect the overall outcome the overall outcome of your goal really um and yeah i realized that just throughout the year certain little aspects of my life that i don't you don't really think about much day-to-day as an athlete and all of a sudden i think they had kind of compounded up so and had just created a bit of a like a sort of kind of like a subconscious mental hindrance for me and i think that's what kind of what my problem was and where it had happened and i just didn't have that initial self-belief and confidence and uh even my body comp values weren't exactly where they probably should have been um for that year going into a major competition compared to where i had been in the previous years or even six months earlier in that year when i swam in nationals so um yeah i then realized that okay i'm gonna have to make sure that i actually pay attention to all those little different variables within my life to make sure that i can control them to a certain extent and make sure that it doesn't impact the future of my outcomes mate 2018 com games on the gold coast um you know fantastic experience obviously for you guys you know being able to compete in front of your family and your friends and having everyone around the pool to watch you know i know you did pretty well you got a gold in the 100 back bronze in the 100 free what was the experience like what was the atmosphere of that meet like for you oh well i was loving it um loving it there obviously i had the 100 free at the start of the week wasn't the outcome i kind of wanted but um at that point in time you know we were just happy to be able to i was just happy to be able to experience uh a home games some athletes can go through their entire career without experiencing that so 
to have that opportunity, I was really grateful. And for us as swimmers, to be in that home crowd in the pool on the Gold Coast, to know, to pretty much know that 90% of that crowd is full of Australians and they're cheering for you, regardless of where you're coming. Um, yeah, like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it from memory. Um, it was a really significant experience and and it was important not only for us as athletes but as important for the the outlook of um, power sport in general. Mm-hmm. It just sort of raised the awareness and kind of raised the bar and kind of showed everyone within Australia and around the world, I guess, that, you know, we're the real deal when it comes to being an elite athlete as well. We're not just, you know, a sidekick to the Olympics or sort of thing, but we are just we just work just as hard to accomplish things that everyone else is accomplishing. And a lot of people kind of saw that for the first time, I think, just because it was done and put across so well. And, yeah, on that final night, we were, I was able to win that 100 back to a pretty much perfect race plan execution. Absolutely loved every minute of it. And because Australia went one, two, three, and not to mention Australia won pretty much every gold medal on that final night. And the crowd was loving every minute of it. So... And we had gone one, two, three, and you could pretty much just get out of the pool and pretty much uh, control the crowd with, yeah. like, raises of, like, cheering and everything. And, yeah, it's it's something that's, as an athlete, you sort of never really dream of experiencing and until it actually happens. You're just like, wow, this is absolutely sensational. It's an interesting one bringing up the Com Games because you know, I talk to a lot of athletes on here, and it's been interesting to note that depending on what stage they are at in their career, and and I guess their you know maturity in terms of their career depends on how they handled that situation with the home crowd and and that sort of pressure around that. Do you think sort of your you know experience throughout your career and your maturity helped you cope with that a little bit better? Yeah, I think so. I, I just sort of had a, a no all, bar, all bets off kind of attitude to it. And I was like, all right, I've got my plan. I've put, I put the work in. We're just going to like go for it. And like what better place to do it than in front of a home crowd? Um, and I think, yeah, just to where I was in my career, I was able to sort of thrive off that home crowd environment and, you know, put it all together properly. And I think – just depending on what sort of happens throughout your career and those kind of experiences, I know that on the biggest stage is where I usually perform the best. So, yeah, I think I just sort of went, stepped up to the plate and just go, just sort of had a, I was like, all right, I'm just going to give it my best and see what happens kind of attitude. And, um, yeah, in the end, I was thankful that it paid off and I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, talk to me about your coach, Harley Connolly. Now, you know, how has he helped shape your career and, and influence you? And what might we not know about Harley? Um, I think he he's not really one to kind of lose, uh, lose his nut at you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, very, he's got a very calm, relaxed approach to things and that's kind of my approach to things as well. Like I'd rather be like calm and relaxed and, everything and i think that's really helpful and it's a really defining factor and i think um that athlete coach relationship um you know he'll just say like doesn't say much but just says a lot of little things here and there and he's always the first one to tell you if you are a little bit off the mark here and there and it's not as if like he'll like let down straight away but he'll just be like honest with you and he'll think that some things need need to change and he might give you some advice as to where you could change it. Um, he's always been really helpful in that matter. He's one one to during training. Um, he's likes to offer kind of encouragement here and there as you're going along. But it, sometimes with Harley's sessions, um, you know, he's he's known for breeding open water and making open water swimmers do well. And some of his sessions can be a bit brutal here and there. And towards the end of the session, you know, he's like, "Come on, like." I know you can go faster and, you know, we're like 6K deep in a session and he's asking <laughs> us to try and go faster. You're just like, like this is not the stuff we want to hear now. But he just, he just finds it hilarious. And I think to know that he can find that, like, laughing, fun element within it, it, it makes it a lot more 
uh, inviting to kind of want to be at training all the time as well. Mm. Um, yeah, and he always does fine. And if, like, all bets off, if you're during, like, pardon my language here, but if, like, you're doing shit in training or shit in a swim, it's like, well, mate, that was a bit shit, wasn't it? So um, he'll give it to you straight, so it's really helpful. Mm. And that's something I, you kind of need to hear every now and then. It's like no point trying to hide behind something about it. Um, yeah, he just he's very, like, upfront about a lot of things, so that's what I kind of enjoy the most about it. Um, I think what you probably wouldn't know much about Harley is I guess that he, he kind of does like to keep himself, try to keep quiet here and there. He doesn't really get out all that much into the, I guess, well-known stratosphere. He likes to do all the hard work and then likes to be able to let all the swimming do the talking. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of how I've always been through my career and I kind of just let the swimming do the talking and that's kind of how all the work gets done. So, yeah, um, I think we kind of reflect each other here and there and that's what I seem to like most about him. Sounds like you complement each other quite well, which is obviously why the, the partnership works so well. Mate, talk to me about what you get up to away from the pool. So obviously we're not in the pool at the moment, but if we were, uh, what do you do on your downtime? How, how do you sort of uh, relax and chill? What do you get up to away from swimming? Yeah, so away from swimming, like it would probably be any other usual weekend. Um, <clears throat> and obviously I, I have my university studies that we mentioned Um Doing my second degree sort of just keeps the mind to you know over here and there um, while I'm swimming. Um, but then I, I enjoy my downtime, so I love spending time with uh, my wife. We enjoy the beach. Um, obviously, when you could go to the beach and sunbathe, <laughs> yeah, and you could go for recreational surf and that sort of stuff. We uh, we love being able to do that. Um, go on hikes here and there or through national parks and all that sort of stuff. You know, kind of um, outgoing, but then we also do enjoy sort of just chilling and, you know, reading a book together and reading um, and, you know, or watching the latest show on Netflix, whatever that is, as long as we stay on the same episode as each other <laughs> and don't get ahead, all that sort of stuff. That's um, the worst. I hate that, especially if we get into a series that I really like. Yeah, and, uh, and um, yeah. you know, we had a few rules here and there, but um, no, it's good. And, and then I'm also during the pretty much from September till um, just the last weekend, um, also involved in surf life saving. So, you know, every second weekend, I'm in the red and yellow that everyone at Kings Beach, Caloundra oh, nice. is um, nice and safe. So, yeah, and that pretty much, you know, fills all my, all my time. Mate, what are your plans moving forward from here, you know, with swimming? Do you do you have a rough idea of how much longer you, you'd like to keep going? I mean, I'm not trying to wrap your career up or anything, but do you have in, <laughs> do you have in mind, you know, where you want to get to at a certain point? Yeah, I think, um, look, I was always going to, like, reassess life after 2020. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, with the, the games being extended for a year and it's still the same. Uh, so technically it's like, it'll be recessed after next year. But, um, no, I think for me, like Paris is, will definitely probably be on the cards. And I think five is a nice round number to, to come to a conclusion, hopefully. And, um, yeah, that's where obviously that's where like we're looking to in the distance at the moment, but at the moment it's just, you know, focusing on a day at a time and, We'll just worry about trying to get back in the water for now. Mate, life after swimming, we've talked about, uh, you know, the uni stuff that you're doing. Have you put much thought into, you know, life after swimming and, and where that might take you and what you want to get into once we do, you know, get to the end of the swimming career? Yeah, so obviously, hopefully by the time I finish my swimming degree, or, uh, my swimming career, I'll be finished my degree. So I'll be a qualified physiotherapist and, Hopefully living up on the Sunshine Coast somewhere and working in a physio clinic and then, you know, further on down the track, hopefully maybe trying to open one of my own clinics and, um, you know, hopefully treating all the other future sports stars coming through life. Yeah, nice, man. It's not a bad spot to try and set up on the Sunshine Coast. No, um, uh, I uh, love it up on the Sunshine Coast. So my family and I used to, family still camp there every year for 
six weeks up at Coolan and yeah, as I said, my wife and I really enjoy going to the coast every weekend or any free time that we really have. So that's where we kind of see ourselves ending up. Yeah, nice. Mate, now I like to finish, you know, all of our chats with some less serious questions um, and, and some that probably give us a little bit more of an insight into into you at home and away from the pool. And it's a pretty rapid fire. So, you know, I'll sort of ask him whatever first comes to your mind, you know, you chuck yeah. it out there. So, you know, first one is your favourite music or artist? Oh, man. Oh, I'll just go Phil Collins. Okay, nice. What about books or movies? Books or movies. Uh, I like Lee Child books. Mm-hmm. Movies, I'd have to say the Batman, like uh, Christian Bale Batman. A Christian Bale Batman, okay, nice. What about favourite show to binge watch? Oh, favourite show to binge watch. I have so many. <laughs> um, God. Uh, I'll just say um, I love all the medical shows. Yep. I'll just say Chicago Med. Okay, nice. I was going to say House if you're going for medical shows. but that's Oh, yeah, House House is one of them. I'm still working my way through that. <laughs> but what about your favourite game? Uh, could be computer game, could be board game, could be anything. <sighs> Monopoly Go. Monopoly Go. Nice, mate. What about, obviously, you're a swimmer, so you, you love your feeds. What about your favourite meal? Favorite meal, I would probably have to say seafood pasta, marinara pasta. Oh, very nice. Now, you know, as we touched on throughout this chat, you know, you've you've travelled around the world, mate. You're a world traveller. What are some of the best countries you visited? Oh, um, well, I loved I loved Brazil with Rio and everything. Been there twice mm. and sort of got to enjoy a fair bit of it. So I I love that. Um, also really enjoyed the Netherlands. Oh, nice. Um, that was a good one. Got to sort of travel, like, not really, like, just while we were on the team, we sort of got to explore a little bit while we were there, and, yeah, really loved that in the sort of, like, culture over there. So I'd probably say those two are my favourite ones. Awesome. Hey, I think we'll wrap it up there. I think we killed it. Um, awesome. <laughs> we'll wrap it up there, Brendan. Thank you very much, mate, for agreeing to come on for a chat and appreciate you taking the time out to come on and, and share your career so far and some of the stories and the highlights and make good luck over the next few months, training, isolation, stay motivated, and ultimately, mate, hopefully, fingers crossed, getting back in the pool soon so we can see you secure your spot for the 2021 Paralympics in Tokyo. Mate, hopefully get you on for another chat somewhere down the track, maybe next year leading up to the trials. But until then, mate, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. No, thanks very much for having me, mate. Uh, hopefully my story wasn't uh, too dragged out for you and uh, uh, I'm just to enjoy a little bit here and there. So, yeah, I really appreciate you being able to get me on. Thanks very much. Awesome, mate. You have a good day. You too. Today's amazing episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly powered, as always by Pro Swim Workouts. We are finishing the week with a bang tomorrow as I bring to you my chat with Aussie team favourite and a man who set the pool alight last year at the World Champs in the semi-final of the 200-metre freestyle. Mr. Clyde Lewis is going to join the show tomorrow. Great guy, funny character, many interesting stories and definitely an episode you will not want to miss. Until tomorrow, guys, have a great day. Thank you so much again for joining us and it's bye for now.